I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. This week's show is my conversation with Robbie Turner, and what an interview it was. Robbie has toured with the Highwaymen, Waylon Jennings, and the Dixie Chicks, and he's worked with Sam Phillips, Chips Moman, Reggie Young, Tony Joe White, and Sun Records, to name a few. Although he is known as a steel guitar player, he also plays drums, bass guitar, and virtually any instrument you put in front of him. Here's my interview with Robbie Turner. Now, you're doing a, a project with Reggie Young, aren't you? I sure am. Is that the instrumental thing? Yes, it's his solo project, yeah. And, uh, yeah, cool. Man, this guy, I mean, he's... There, I sit, and, and, and I, everything he plays brings such memories, such such visual memories to me, because I, since, since I was a kid, I just thought he, you know, and, and, and throughout the years, his, his career has been amazing, but it's his taste factor, and growing up in Memphis, loving Memphis music, mm-hmm. and knowing what a creation, even his, going back to his time with Bill Black Combo, and the Memphis sound, you know, um, Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. but then hearing things that you know, times uh, that I would forget, like you know, his George Strait years and stuff. When I was before I came to Nashville, uh, you know, I would hear things on the radio. I said, "Well, that's got to be Reggie." I know that tone, you know. And, uh-huh. and, uh, and hearing his and, 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 and the way he approaches things, but they all come from his um, input into creating the genre of, of R and B music, in my opinion. Right, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying he solely did it. I mean, you know, him, Cropper, uh, Chips Bowman before that, you know, uh, Spooner Odom, Tommy Cogbull. Oh yeah, that's done. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. that's those, those guys. You know, and, and of course the Muscle Street Gang. You know, David Hood and and uh, Roger Hawkins. Those guys, Gene Crispin, man. You know, the fact that that him and Cogbull went and played on Natural Woman to to sub for uh, David Hood and and. Uh, and Roger Hawkins, because their sessions ran over Muscle Show, so they they went and, and um, I guess who was it that ran them? Atlantic Wexler must have got in touch with him to come to uh, to to play on Rita Franklin's Natural Woman session. I think it was New York. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and that little that little bounce that Christman does throughout the song on the snare drum with just his left hand is something I had noticed about him because because he was. When I was doing a lot of sessions in Memphis, he was the last. He was, I think, Christian was the last one to leave Memphis. He was coming up here to work a lot, mm-hmm. Gene Christian. But I remember working sessions and hearing that and saying, "Man, that's his R and B stuff." As a, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about I was thir- twelve and thirteen years old playing sessions. I, I would hear that bounce and say, "Yeah, that's for Natural Woman," uh-huh. you know, and and and, and, and that, that stuff just it, it lights my it lights my fire, it yanks my chain, in other words, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, now you you were known for, um, as a steel guitar player, but you you play more than that, right? Yeah, uh, I, I tried to play everything I could, you know, to try to make it. It's called it's called a steel guitar player trying to make a living in Memphis. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, you no, I, I actually I actually played other instruments before steel. I, I kind of worked my way. I started out playing drums in my dad's band at six but, years old. Right. That's and, what I was getting then, at. Yeah. Right, and then then I moved on to play. Uh, I, I started. I learned a little bit of guitar after that. You know, I guess what as a child, probably eight years old, seven and eight, learning chords and stuff. And um, then I started playing bass, probably at nine. 
<laughs> and then uh, and then I started started learning a little bit about keyboards, you know, and just just little basic stuff. And then I started playing steel. My dad's uh, double neck Fender when I was ten, wow. and then I got my first pedal pedal steel when I was eleven. Wow! And so and then and then I explored. Uh, my mother had worked at a music store and Jonesboro, um, Arkansas, and modern music. And uh, so, so she when when they they were closing the doors on it. She took a piano um, for money that was owed to her from the owner said, "We pick out something here that you want because I can't afford to pay." You know, he was he was closing the doors. You know, uh-huh. so, so so she got a, a Wallace for like a spinet piano, and so I, she got that the house, and I really started exploring uh, chords and and, and playing and learn, trying to broaden my musical knowledge with theory and stuff on piano, and so that opened so many doors. I mean, I started messing with piano before steel but then after I, I started playing steel and then then learning theory to piano and i could close my eyes and see the keyboard then uh-huh. you know so yeah. I, I could that way i could kind of i could i could be traveling on a gig or traveling with my parents somewhere and in my mind i could be i could be uh learning music without a, without an instrument you know uh-huh so um yeah, yeah it, it, music's always run so deep in me and, and man, it's, it's all i know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. now. Now you mentioned uh, uh, Chips Moman, uh, and, and wasn't he instrumental in getting you uh, hooked up with the Highwaymen? He was one one hundred and twenty eight percent instrumental in that. Man, I, I was. Uh, here's the deal: I had known Chips for, for a while, and had, and had, we crossed paths. Really, that worked with him. You know, uh, just a whole whole lot. But I was I was working at Three Alarm Studio with Don Mix. Don was producing a project on Don McMahon. In 1989, I was working with uh, Don Mix and James Dickerson on a record they were producing on Don McMahon, who's now Papa Don. And then the album "Stick a Dream," uh-huh. and I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> So, uh, when, and I came into overdub still guitar, and I'm playing some bass, and and, and, and um, just just overdubbing some little stuff here and there. And, and Chips comes in while I'm there, and he sits back on the couch, and I notice he kind of just hangs around. He's in and out, but he stays the whole day, and and we're talking and, and cutting up, and, and uh, we're, we're having more more fun than we've ever had around each other before. You know, just just uh, and, and I'm working, and we're talking about. We know so many, like, Ace, I worked for Ace Cannon as a kid. And him and Ace were together with the, the Bill Black combo, and, and you know, so it, we had so many mutual friends and, and Tom telling those stories. And what, what really got chips that day was the fact that I knew, I started talking about a band called Clyde Leopard and the Snurly Ranch Boys. Yeah. And that was that was a band, you know, they had a, a show on, on some radio station. Was it WMPS? I don't remember. No, it, 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 no it, you know where it was? It, it was at KWEM. K-W-E-M. Uh, it, was it Sleepy Eye John that had the show or something? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 all, all I know yeah. is they used to play live on, on KWEM in West Memphis. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. So that. So that's that was one thing that just really kind of was the, the, the sealed our deal with me and Chips that day. So I get a call to do the when he's going to do the Highwayman Two album. He calls me to do that. Sean Lane's involved with that. You know, she brought Sean Lane from Memphis uh-huh. uh, to play on that. And this was the the, the uh, so he calls me in to do this album. 
And um, so I, I do the record with him, and then they're starting to circulate. And, and then I'm working with over there all the time now on different projects with him and, and the different people. Even other producers is coming to the Free Alarm there in Memphis. Hmm. I'm doing projects with him. And so um, it comes. I start, the rumor starts floating around that the highwaymen are going to tour. And um, so uh, and so Chips, and I'm hearing this, and they're going to take the studio band out. And I never, and nobody says anything to me, but I figured it was just going to be the the American rhythm section, you know, the, right. which would have been, you know, Reggie Young, Chip, uh, Reggie Young, uh, Bobby Emmons, Bobby Woods, right, um, the Memphis Boys, uh, Gene Christman, yeah, yeah, Gene, yeah, um, Gene Christman and Mike Leach. And so uh, I start, but anyway, one day I'm working there with Chip, and he walks up, he says, "You want to go out on this Highland tour with us?" And I said, well, let me think about it, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he says, uh, so he says, yeah, well, that's, that's well, you're hired to you. Wow. And so, and I mean, I was, I was, I was really in shock. I was thinking, you know, the, I mean, the money was, was really great, but working with these four guys, uh, which was Johnny, you know, the Highland, Johnny Cash, Christmas Robinson, Waylon Jennings, and Willie Nelson. Right. And man, that was just, they're such legends, and, but they, Every one of them has a place in my life um, from childhood. Like, I mean, I, when I started wow. playing Steel, Ralph Mooney, Ralph Mooney was one of my heroes who played Steel for Waylon. It was a mentor to me. Uh, and, uh, and the Johnny Cash is who I wanted to be when I was a kid. I was dressed black when I was seven or eight years old, holding a guitar for it, knew how to make a chord on it, and looking in the mirror, trying to lower my voice, going, hello, I'm Johnny Cash, <laughs> you know, as a kid. And then... Uh, Playing along with because Rick, Chris Christopherson had more rock edge to his, his records that Chip Young produced or uh, Fred Foster produced on him, uh-huh. and I would play along with Chip with Christopherson records. And then Willie and Jimmy Day was another mentor and, and hero of mine on steel guitar. And then Willie, you know, and, and just all those guys, they were such heroes of mine. And and, th- and thinking, man, there was times I'd be playing on stage. And I would literally have to reach over and pinch my arm and say, "This is that's be a dream," <laughs> you know. And and, 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 and those four, and, and being around them, and, and the fan, and, and all of a sudden, I was just one of the guys, uh-huh. you know. It's like so I was I was part. I mean, and I had done big things in Memphis and played on stuff, and in, in you know, I mean, the, the Memphis music legends. I was around. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying that these guys are any greater in any way, but because my, my Memphis roots is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's what made me into what uh, these guys liked. Right. So uh, so anyway, the yeah, Chip's moment was, and then um, when he came back to Nashville, he I mean I, I I was coming here to work with him from Memphis, still living there, and him and Reggie Young were, were the two influences that said you need to get to Nashville. You know, Reggie, Reggie said, man, you know, he said, I'm not trying to, he said, I love this. That's my, that's my soul and heart musically. He said, but, you know, the music business is really in Nashville. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 I'm not different Memphis. At times, Memphis has been, because uh, I, I, I promise you, if I can go back and change everything in my life, I would not change one thing about my musical, my music heritage and how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being around Sam Phillips and, and Roland James and Stan Castle and, and knowing those guys since my childhood, and uh, and then you know, a lot of my influences in Nashville guys too, being a steel guitar player. But, but see, I think that growing up, I think Chip, what Chips liked about me on steel guitar is the fact that I didn't play 
just as, I mean, I can play country steel guitar, and I love that. But the fact that I had a little a, a different thing coming from Memphis, Huey had that. John Huey had the same thing because he grew up in Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you can't describe it. It's just a thing. And Reggie Young was doing an interview in a magazine. He said it. He said it's called it's called a Memphis thing. And he said I've been in Nashville for at the time thirty something or forty something years. He's telling the guy that it was in a vintage guitar player magazine. And Reggie said he said. I've been here thirty some odd years in Nashville, and I'm still considered a Memphis guy, and that's cool. And he said another one of those is Robbie Turner. He talks about me and uh-huh. steel guitar, uh-huh. and, and that's you know, and, and I don't. I, that's cool with me. I don't. I, I, that's the greatest thing about. And that's you know, when you say that, that kind of takes me over to the side from to the typical, you know, um, you know, guys that grew up playing just the stock steel guitar, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, now, now, you, at one point, uh, when you were in Memphis, uh, didn't you play with Tony Joe White? Didn't you do some projects with him? I did. I, um, I, I did some TV shows with him and played some live gigs with him. I was working with playing bass at Rum Boogie Cafe. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, 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 had, I had recorded with Tony Joe. Bobby Manuel was producing something over at Daily Planet Studios with him and... Um, um, Jim Stewart had Daily Planet over where Shoe Productions was, right? And I and I played steel. I played steel. I remember I, I, it was before I had a learner's permit to drive because my dad drove me over. So I must have been thirteen. I must have been thirteen years old. And uh, and, and I, so I went over and loaded my steel in and played on a couple of songs with Tony Joe. They said Bobby Manuel called me and said, "Man, we're recording and we want a steel guitar on these next two songs." And I said, okay, when do you need me? He said, we've already started. <laughs> <laughs> and so my dad, my dad drove me over and I set up. And, uh, and, and I said, that was my first. And I had met Tony Joe, you know, working with Ace Cannon and stuff. You know, he'd been some gigs. We'd play together. But I played steel then. So then jumped down, I don't know, uh, when I was playing, the time, my section the time that I was playing at Bill Street on the uh, Run Boogie Cafe, they dominant men books Tony Joe in. And Tony would bring, he would just bring him and his drummer, and then, yeah, and he would, from Nashville, he was coming to Nashville then, uh-huh. he would bring his drummer, and, and then use uh, some of the Run Boogie Band, and I played bass, so Tony fell in love with my bass player, and so he started using me on some gigs and TV shows, and I came here to Nashville to record with him a couple of times, and, and one time, we came to Bennett House, well, but I shouldn't uh, edit that out, don't say Bennett House Studios, <laughs> um, but I, we came to a studio here in Nashville to record, and um, uh, so the engineer was a very well-known Nashville engineer, and, and Tony Joe was uh, uh, not digging, we set up and started recording, and, and we went in and listened to playback, and Tony kind of looked at me and shook his head, no, and the engineer stopped and said, let me play y'all something, you know, we're just not... The snare drum ain't sounding right ready to work on that. We've been there quite a while with doing tones, getting tones of the drums and stuff. And and, uh, and I engineer. I've engineered since my, my youth, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so the engineer said, "Let me play y'all stuff." He puts on a Glenn Campbell record, which was which was a great, uh, lushly produced record. There's just lush strings, big old thick snare drum with reverb all over. But it was nothing to do with the music that we were making with Tony Joe White at the moment. Right, you know, it, right. it really was, and he said he was he was saying this is what this should sound like as far as tone stuff, 
And Tony, and Tony said, "You think that's right?" <laughs> and he said, "The and, he, and, Tony, and Tony looked at me and said, "Hey, Robbie, let's pack up." <laughs> and so we packed our gear. We packed our gear and walked out of the studio, and and went back to Tony's house. And so the next morning we wake up, and and I'm getting my stuff ready to go back to go back to uh, come back to Memphis. Uh-huh. And uh, he's he's talking to Waylon on the phone, and and Waylon said, and Tony said, "Man, we went over there and recorded." And, and they they didn't give us no Memphis talk and no Memphis soul. He said he looked over and pointed at me while he's talking to Wayne on the phone. Said, Man, Robbie Turner's a better engineer than that guy was. You know, he knows more about my music. And Wayne said, "Why don't you use my studio and let Robbie come over and engineer?" Wow! And, and so we so we I had to unpack all my stuff from the car. <laughs> yeah. And we and so we go we go down downtown on I think it was Sixteenth Avenue, Sixteenth or Seventeenth Avenue. It was. Um, Al Carte had built this place way that I had it at the time, all the time. And uh, so we unload, and uh, and sure enough, I'm the only engineer there. We unlock the door. Buddy Jennings, Wayland's son, unlocks the door. And we go in and load our stuff up. I get drum tones. And the record was a big record for Tony in Europe, and it was called uh, Garter Belt. Do you have a garter belt? <laughs> and and uh, but anyway, I love Tony. He said, "Hey, when I when I took the highwayman gig, Tony Joe called me the day I was packing my stuff in Memphis, to, and I I had uh, I found me a place to live here in Nashville." And so he said, "Man, he said I want to call you." I said, "Well, I can't do anything right now. I'm kind of in the middle of moving." He said, "Hey, I heard about your highwayman gig." Don't let them hillbillies run you. <laughs> you know that. Tony, he, call me. Hey, hey, Robbie. Hey, Robbie. And my my ear will vibrate from that phone, man. He's just, he is so great. But yeah, I worked with Tony a whole, and I love that man dead. Yeah. And it, you know, and, and our connections are so wild because him and Wayland and uh, Leanne White wrote the, uh, the 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 title song off the album that produced a Wayland. It's last recordings. And they wrote the what? They wrote the title song, Going Down Rockin' oh, Together. Okay. Tony, Tony, Joe, and Waylon were really good friends throughout the years. Uh-huh. You know? And they wrote wrote a lot of songs together, and they appeared on each other's records. But the Going Down Rockin', the, the song that was um, the, on, the was title cut from Waylon's last album, that he that his, his, called his last recordings, and that he, that I produced, he gave them to me. And um, it, 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 that was written by Tony Joe and Leanne White, and Waylon wrote a little bridge part, and they gave him third writers on it. Uh huh. Wow. So that was you know, it's our connection, the way our our it all intertwines. Uh, mm-hmm. It's stuff you don't see till you after till you're after fifty years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now you got not only into engineering but producing as well in, in Nashville, right? Yes, I do that here, but I did that in Memphis too. Oh, okay. I had a, I produced a, I produced a, a hit country record. I produced a lot of stuff, but I, I just never could get things. That, I, I, you know, in Memphis, uh, uh, there was things trying to happen and stuff there, but I, uh, I had, you know, I got Sonic Studio from, from uh, Kenny Herman, who had got it from Roland James. Right. I, and you know, Sonic was very famous there on Madison Avenue, and. And uh, and I ended up with that studio. I, I started working there as an engineer when I was fourteen. Oh, wow. And um, and then and and then by the time I was sixteen, we owned the place. And huh. and um, and so uh, and and I, and I started. So I really started producing at an early age. You know, learning about producing. I didn't really start producing until 
Um, I produced it, when I was right before I turned 17, I produced you a country record on a group called Foxfire. And, um, right, fell in, Don Miller fell into love, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Right, right. Yeah. Don, yeah, Don Miller was a, a school principal there in Memphis, uh-huh. and the other two guys, Russ Allison and uh, uh, Dave, um, anyway, they're, they're from Nashville, and, and uh, so, uh, but they, um, they, we did this record, and it was, a, it was, a, it was a hit single, you know, and so, um, but the label was an independent label and didn't really have the funds to, to release a, a follow up. Uh-huh. So the, they got some offers to take to take record deals, and Jimmy Bowen signed them to. Um, uh, and I was I actually had, supposed to have a piece of the group, you know, but that was just a promise that was made to me. There was no ink on it, uh-huh. and so they, 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 Jimmy Bowen started producing the band, and they and uh, for. I think it was Curb at the time. Uh, maybe Curb was involved with Electra somehow. Uh-huh. But Jimmy Bowen signed, got him got a deal, and they uh, signed, helped sign him and produced three records, three singles on them before they dropped them, and none of them did chart as high as this first one did. But there was a lot of magic in that record. Bobby Neal played some guitar stuff on there. He, he was um, he, he lived in West Memphis there, but he was a Memphis guy. He played all the Lindlou's, Larry Rogers, Lindlou records over there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you remember Bobby Neal? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He played with Ricky Nelson. He died in a plane crash. Bobby was a dear friend of mine. But Bobby Neal played some guitar on that record that was just you know killer, right? On the sound of the yeah, sound of that record. So yeah, that, so that that was, but that was, and I and I, and I produced some Ace Cannon albums too there in Memphis for uh, a British West Indies label called World Records. And uh, I think it was actually three or four albums I did. Yeah, now was Jack Rowell yeah, Jr. Uh, in Ace's band at that time? Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he was, um, well, yeah, we were, we had worked with Ace, and we were in Ace's band, and stuff, and he actually, yeah, and he sang backup on the, the two two or three of those albums um, uh, uh, with me on, with, uh, produced on Ace. Yeah, Jack was there. JoJo Tate was in the band. Nikki Wayne Tover, who's not with us anymore, passed away. Uh, Nikki was uh, the nephew of Charlie Feathers, uh-huh. and, um, wow. and Nikki and Nikki, Nikki was somebody I produced. He was a great singer, and I never could get a deal for him. And I, I, I shot him around Nashville because I was, you know, as an eighteen-year-old kid trying to get, a, you know, cause himself a producer trying to get a, a guy a deal in Nashville. You know, this in Memphis, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. so it's. Uh, but um, anyway, yeah, Nicky Wankover was there. There was uh, uh, and Fred uh, Fred Hester was there too. Fred Hester, like, you know, he's still around. Mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, there was some, there, there, there's a lot of a lot of great musicians come through the East Canada Dutch. Wow, now well, you played with some great people and <laughs> and knew a lot of uh, great people uh, with the uh, Memphis music, man. Uh, but but oh yeah. Well, Go ahead. Uh, did, didn't you uh, after after the Highwaymen uh, down the road? Didn't you? Didn't you? Uh, weren't you involved with uh, Jesse Coulter's "I'm Not Lisa"? Well, uh, not that particularly. When that record came out when I was a kid. I mean, I was I, I just started playing steel, but I yeah, I, I started you know through the Highwaymen. I started working with Waylon Jennings, uh-huh. and, um, and and Ralph Mooney had retired and um, was. Ralph was uh, my, like I said, my, my hero still, one of my hero still players, mentors, and, and he retired, um, and his didn't carry it still for about, I guess, about a year, year and a half, maybe two years, and, and uh, 
and I was working with Howard, and Wayland kept saying, uh, man, won't you come out and play some gigs with me? He said, you know, well, Howard was out touring. I said, well, man, I, I, you know, I'm just kind of getting settled in Nashville. I might do that sometime. But, you know, I just, I kind of wanted to get clearance from Mooney. So I called Ralph Mooney at home, and, and I talked to him about it. And he said, I said, would you, would you, how would you feel if I went to work with him? He's offered me a job. And Mooney said, go ahead. I'm, I'm through playing, you know. And, and so, uh, yeah, so I ended up going to work with Waylon. I went out just to do it for a couple of weeks, and I was there for 20-something years. Wow. <laughs> they liked you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I went on to play on Waylon's last nine albums, and before he passed away, mm. and I worked with him and Jesse Coulter both. And, uh, and then the last, not long before he passed away, he came out to when I came out to my studio with his acoustic guitar, and he called me. He said he wants to record some songs out here, and uh, so I said, "Sure, come on out." And he said, "This going to be me and you." And I said, "Okay." I didn't uh-huh. have a clue. I don't never ask him questions, you know. So uh, he came out with his acoustic, and I had no idea what we were doing. So we uh, we started recording. Um, and, and some songs were, were songs I'd never heard before, and some things uh, uh, were, uh-huh. were things he recorded thirty years ago, you know. And I, and so, and he was playing acoustic guitar and singing. And I said, uh, and he, he said, "Man, won't you play some 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 bass with me?" And I said, "Okay." So I, I played some bass, and and uh, and we. He said, "I want I want you to open up. I want you to finish the stuff one day." I didn't know what that meant, and so. Uh, we cut the tracks, and he said, let me know if you think any of the songs are uh, too high for me, because I did them on some of the old ones in original keys, and my voice is supposed you know, high to it. And he said, neither am I. <laughs> and and uh, so, uh, anyway, yeah, so he said, uh, so I, I called him a couple things he came back and redid, and I still didn't know what he meant for, for, to do with this stuff. I just recorded uh-huh. on my 24-track analog machine, you know. So anyway, we're flying out a couple of weeks later to go to a, to a gig somewhere. And I see him here at the airport. And I said, well, you know, what, what is your deadline on finishing this, when you finish your stuff? I think I'm trying to just casually get a, uh, a, some kind of idea of what's going on. He said, there is no deadline. Just finish it one day. I said, okay. No. And I never, never said another word about it. So he he passes he he passes away yes a, a year and a half two years later and so I called the office and I said you know I've got these tapes and these are his last recordings I said I need to bring them to y'all the two inch twenty four is just me and him and and so Nikki at the office um, called me said, well she said hang on let me let me let me check in on this so she calls me back about a week later and says those tapes are yours. Um, it, it, it was it was designated that he wow. that he left those to you to finish. And I said, "Do what?" I said, "What does that mean?" She said, "They belong to you." And I said, <laughs> "Okay, but, but what does that mean?" <laughs> you know, it's like this is his this is his record. I mean, or his stuff. She said, "Yeah, but you, he told you to finish it." And so I hung up the phone, and now I'm even more confused as I was, because I think that we know the ownership. Now the ownership is supposedly me on, the, on these tapes. And, and so, but the, the deal was, as I got thinking, I said, well, I can't just sell these tapes to somebody. I'm finished. I said, because he uh-huh. told me to finish them. He gave me that appointment. And so, man, I would, I would open the tape closet and look up at those masters and see them staring. I, I purposely uh-huh. put them in a place where I would see them every time I opened the tape closet. 
And, and I see him, and, and I see I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready because he, when he passed me, it was not losing my dad again or a family member again because I loved him so much. You know, we were, we were all very close, and it tore me, and, it tore Reggie up too. It took all of us up. We, you know, we we were we were so close, and, and, uh, and this uh-huh. our chief was dead. That's what that's what that's the way we felt, you know. And uh, but anyway, so I kept looking at these tapes and seeing them, and finally, about I guess it was. Nine, nine years after he passed, I, I looked at him, looked at him one day and said, I'm ready now. I'm ready to work on this thing. So I pulled him out and transferred him to Pro Tools. Uh-huh. And, and then we started making the record. And then cut a deal, you know, and, and it got released. And, and then Time Life filed bankruptcy. <laughs> That's another old story. But anyway, that, that, I know I went off on a rabbit trail there from Jesse, but that, that, that was my association with Waylon became... Like a fan, we became like a family, and, and, and I still, I still uh, love Jesse and um, Shooter and, and, and involved. Jesse became, I gave her fifty percent of the album uh-huh. because I thought that's right. probably what Wayne would want me to do. I didn't have to, I, you know. I just felt like it's. I just gave her fifty percent, and, and she's my partner on that record. And and uh, and I Shooter, I've worked with Shooter on several projects. Yeah, played Steel and. Uh, whatever, and I went out and toured a little bit and helped him out. So, yeah, I, I, the Jennings are a are a part of my family yeah. musically and uh, personally. Yeah, 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 that, yeah that, that's and that's how that rabbit trail kind of ties in yeah, with the Tony Joe White too. Just to let you know that because Tony Joe and Leanne wrote that song, Tony Joe had it on an album years ago. Waylon heard it and wrote a bridge section to it just to add to it. And they gave him part writer on it. So and then uh-huh. that's when I cut it. He he came out here and recorded it. And so that was my tenth in tying in. I did nine albums away, and that was my tenth album. I played on a couple of Jesse albums too. Make sure you're with us next time for Memphis Music Interview. Memphis Music History told from the inside. I'm Mitch McCracken and I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a get cracking production.